Hey guys, it's the Mighty Coleslaw here, bringing you another installment of the Mighty Coleslaw podcast. I'm your host, the Mighty Coleslaw, and I'm joined here with... Mandrew, aka Andrew. What's up, guys? And uh, we also got a very special guest for you today. Uh, Time-traveling John Lennon. <laughs> oh, is that, is that my cue to say hello, everybody out there? <laughs> I'm sitting here waiting for you to, you know... Yeah, I was so excited for this program all week. I was like, my, my feet were tapping and I was chomping at the bit. <laughs> right on, right on. You know, what we need is a little bit of music and uh, Beatles and John Lennon to, to uh, spruce everyone's mood back up again. It's kind of been a, a challenging year to say the, to say the least, I guess. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So let's uh, get started. Uh, so... When did you like uh, realize like you kind of looked like John Lennon? Like, was it like always like from like as a kid, you kind of looked like him, or was this like just something that like happened as you got older? You're like, you know what? I kind of look like John Lennon. <laughs> I think it probably was around like uh, high school age or something like that. People were saying, you know, because uh, you know the voice was was kind of there and you know emulating different things, and people would say, hey, you know, it's really funny because you kind of looked like him a bit. And then as I got older, well, you know, you just sort of grow into it, I guess. Yeah. So when you were, when you appeared on Conan, was that like, uh, was that like a setup or was it like, were you like you a plant in the audience for like a comedy bit or was it just like something that happened organically? That was um, about as organic as, as it gets really. Uh, I had a friend who's, um, Actually, he works for the uh, TBS over there in Los Angeles, and uh, it's very kind. He got us, uh, me and another friend, got us some uh, some nice VIP seats, and we went to see the show. And I think it was uh, he just uh, come back from Germany or someplace. He'd been doing a uh, a show overseas, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, they're, they're looking for something fun and exciting to do and they, they probably didn't really have a clue what they were going to do and uh they just sort of spotted me in the audience beforehand yeah. you know the show was you know they got the camera on they, they got the um I, I forget the chap's name there's a guy who sort of gets the audience ready with jokes and you know has people come down and participate and gets you all warmed up and yeah, laughing and dancing and doing different things, whatever. Well, well, they uh, had the camera and they were looking through the crowd and they spotted me. And so, I guess they'd done something like this a few times before. It's called the audience member theme song. Yeah, so yeah. They spotted me and I literally uh, stopped this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. A couple of times he panned over to you and he's like, he's like, it's hard to focus because, like, you know, we got time traveling John Lennon right there in the audience. Yeah right. Yeah, so it was uh, it was a pretty pretty exciting and, and people really appreciate it, which is uh, which is great. Yeah. Know? So have you um, met any other like uh, time traveling like Beatles along the way? Like, have you ever met like a time traveling George Harrison or like a time traveling Ringo? A time travel. Well, there um, <laughs> there are other impersonators. There are impersonators out there and people who do tributes. I, I don't know if uh, they're carrying on the, the message as, as I do. So I don't know if I would call them time traveling or whatever. Yeah. But uh, 
there are there are a couple of others out there who are pretty good at uh, you know George and and Ringo. I've not really seen a a, a good Paul. I don't think. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. That seems to be a, a rather tough one, you know. Yeah, it's. I, I feel like it. It would be kind of hard to do a tribute act to somebody who's still performing and still doing shows. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a challenge, really. I mean, there's, there's people, um, I know uh, people who are doing, uh, well, up until recently, I mean, this guy's going to continue on doing it, obviously. He was doing Sean Connery, the mm. older Sean Connery. And he's, he's quite good as well. Yeah. And, uh, and people who do share and different people like that. And, and, and they're still alive, you know, up until recently, obviously, Sean Connery just passed, uh, what, two weeks ago or something? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was yeah just about two weeks. But yeah, that's got to be challenging for them, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, it's it's been uh, for me, it's been very uh, fun and and challenging a bit at times, you know. People people take it different ways. Or most people, for the for the most part, people really appreciate it and yeah. uh, and uh, to sort of catch you up on how and why. I guess uh, I just decided around two thousand four, I think it was, to carry on doing all those things that, that John Lennon wanted to do, whether I made money from it or not. And so far, I, I don't have a, a home in Bel Air Estates, you yeah. know, Palm Beach or anything like that. But um, he wanted to do a lot of things in his life. Uh, like he wanted to be a, a radio DJ. And, you know, in 1966, they'd interviewed him and they said, well, what, you know, what about this? This film, why, you know, is this uh, something that you, you think you're going to do? No, you, no, I don't want to make a career of it. I just, uh, uh, everybody was on holiday and Dick Lester asked me and uh, if the others would, would not have agreed, I wouldn't have done it, you know. Yeah. And so it's kind of like that. He says, but I'll, in an interview, he says, I, I really want to do it all. You know, radio, I'd love to do I'd Try everything, you know, radio, DJ, actor, filmmaker. Weatherman. As you know, he, he did uh, poetry. He was an artist and uh, a pilgrim for peace and obviously a, a songwriter. Yeah. But, uh, he, he planned on delving further into these things further. And, and and we all know, sadly, we know what happened to him. Yeah. But so I decided that I was going to carry on. <clears throat> excuse me. I was going to carry on and do these things. I just made made the commitment to doing it and. Which, which also includes, by the way, defending him against the uh, the defamation which which has been put around. I don't know if you're aware of that. I mean, for all the great things that have been still said about him, there are so, uh, sort of uh, smear campaigns floating about, which really? you might see. Yeah, yeah, and he's not alive to defend himself, so I'll defend him. Yeah, you know? and you'll see you'll see things like in the mirror, okay, which is sort of a a scandal sheet or Yahoo. You know, uh, these were he was a celebrity and he was really a horrible person or whatever. You know, I don't even want to, you know, bears not mention. Right. But um, yeah. they'll, they'll say things like that and, you know, bring up things about how, you know, he was distant from his son. And, you know, he was remorseful and he'd, he'd already yeah. reconciled that, you know. Yeah. Like on his last w- weekend with uh, May Pang, you know, they she he. You know, he started reaching back out to Julian, you know, over that period and all. And it and it seemed like um, before he was assassinated, like he was going to plan a trip to when he was going to start touring again. I think he was going to go to 
England again and then see Julian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, everybody always like talks about like, Oh, he was a bad father, bad father. Like I always cut him some slack because like one, he was like a younger guy and two, like he was, Julian was born in the middle of Beatlemania. So like where John was at his biggest and like he always had to tour. He always had to be in the studio. And like when the spotlight is on you that much, it's hard to be a regular person because you almost lose your humanity a bit. So like, you know, you have like Elvis and stuff that was very extravagant and stuff like that. Like when the public is on you constantly, it's hard to live your life almost. I'm glad that he got it on the second time around. Like he got to live more of a normal life. Like he was, I remember Ringo said that he was like now making bread and stuff like that and being like a stay at home dad when he took that break from music in the seventies and stuff like that. And I think that's very like admirable that like, you know, on a second go around, he really took the time and became more of the father he wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he was the, uh, stay home dad. And then, you know, once, uh, once Sean started uh, coming up, uh, he decided he wanted to go out and eventually start touring again. Yeah. But to uh, to follow on with that, I um, I also uh, put out a book and a CD around that time, and I continue to write new things. In fact, I have a new new book and CD in the works. Uh, the The old book is kind of out of print. But okay. I'm thinking of doing a uh, an, an e audio book or whatever, or, or just a uh, what do they call? I forget what they call them. You know, download the PDF of it. What a, there's a particular name for it anyway. But um, so it was based on uh, Beatles Christmas messages and things like that sort yeah. of humor. And if you're familiar with uh, John John's poetry, I've always written that way anyway. And I was very uh, impressed to find out that he did the sort of nonsensical Jabberwocky, which I'd, I'd been doing since I was a child. I was really, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. How about that? Yeah. So, so I did a book and uh, a CD of uh, poems, short stories, and original music done, all done in the style of John Lennon and Beatles. So there's a flavor, sort of a distinct flavor of, uh, if you're familiar with the Beatles Christmas messages. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. you know, John Lennon's humor. Uh, it's called Village Idiom. Uh, play on words. All play on words, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. And and so I, I put that one out, and I've got another one coming out whenever I finish that up. But there are original songs coming as well. Fragmentation is one. I do play that on the radio show. Thursdays, are periodically, I'll play that. It's a, it's a really uh, heavy hitter because... It's about divide and conquer, and that's really what's kind of being done to us now with all that's going on, you know? Yeah. So do you have, like, um, a preference between, like, his, um, his two, like, most famous books um, in his own right or Spaniard in the works? Like, do you have a preference? Like, which one is your, like, more favorite? Oh, maybe uh, Spaniard in the works. Of the, I love... Uh, I love the irreverent, just off the wall things, you know. Um, what's it? While, while Stolitz all were sleepy, crept a little boy from bed to feign the wondrous people what live while they were dead. He packed a little voucher for his dinner neath a tree. Perhaps a tiny dwarf or two would share a bite with me. <laughs> he packed uh, pack a little voucher for a dinner. I see, uh, 
A book, oh, and I forget the rest of it anyway, you know. A book in Denzel Forrest's notes and out the windy creep. He met him friendly ma magic dog, dog, all black and curled too, what flew him fast and second class to do what he must do. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a little snippet from the Wumbalog. Oh, and I was, was I was impressed. Was I was yeah. just I was like, I was like, I was, I was getting chills. I was just like, man, John Lennon's reading an excerpt of his book. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was, I got a little bit of a story about that. Um, I remember in uh, high school, like in uh, 12th grade, the seniors could put, pick a book for like uh, the, the um, next book. upcoming class. Oh, okay. And um, I, er, everybody was like putting like, uh, like great Gatsby, like pretty much just like all the big American novels. And, uh, you know, unfortunately catcher in the rye was on there. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you, if you yeah. have any idea what, uh, what that did to John Lennon, but, um, oh, yeah. cool. and then, um, you know, the two books I put down was, uh, Spaniard in the works and like a clockwork orange. Wow. Great. Well, good choices. Yeah. 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 Choices. yeah. Kubrick was on to a, a, a few things, you know. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. So do you... So, what? I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll let you continue. I'll ask uh, my question as a follow-up. I was going to say, um, <clears throat> yeah, so so people ask me, I guess, what, what he would be doing today and... Um, well, I, I definitely I feel a, a couple of things. One, he would be doing original, you know, he'd be doing some new songs that are probably non-Beatle related, obviously. Yeah. I don't know that he was too, he'd be too chuffed about the, the ones that they released because, I mean, this is in, in passing, I heard from somebody who said, uh, if anything ever happens to me, don't let any of these songs get out and... Uh, yeah, Yoko Yoko put them around, and um, I mean, at the very least, they probably could have uh, used George Martin to produce them, and instead they used Jeff Lynne. So they sound very much like ELO. Yeah, in my in yeah. my taste, anyway. I'm, you know, I love the video more than anything. I thought the video was brilliant. oh oh yeah, Free as a Bird. There's so many Beatles references yeah. in there. Like there's like almost like a hundred different ones like it's like even like little snippets like four policemen standing in a row and like just like little things you wouldn't think about and it's just like oh my god that's a beatles eric and that's in there and then like it's a very yeah. avant-garde uh interesting piece i thought right right and then the other thing i think he probably would be producing uh sean's music and maybe julian's music uh, julian sort of um He'll he'll do things. He'll do sort of humanitarian things here and there, mm -hmm. and some some music. And I I don't know what's happened. I think the last thing I heard from him was uh, Saltwater, song called Saltwater forms in my eyes. with a beautiful song yeah. about the environment, you know. Yeah. But uh, I haven't really heard anything since. I I don't know what's going on. Obviously, yeah. obviously I, the whole world's the whole world's been shot by this whole pandemic thing, which should, which brings up another point. He would be very, very um, instrumental, very vocal about all this stuff that's yeah. going on. Number one, number one, he'd be saying, we need an investigation into 9-11 because we've never had one. Okay, yeah. we've never had one. And uh, right away, 
they just said, oh, we know who did it. We know who did it. And then they destroyed all the evidence. So if that's not, you know, and people just went along with it for the most part, which is very upsetting. Yeah. It's really upsetting. And the same thing as uh, Bill Gates, I don't know if you know this, but Bill Gates put on an event. Uh, they've been planning this all out. They put on an event back in October of okay. uh, 2019 called Event 201. Uh-huh. And you can find out all about it. I believe it's still up on YouTube. And uh, there was a channel. Oh, they, that's right. They took her down. They're censoring everybody. Amazing Polly. They took her down. And you can probably find her on bitshoot.com. That's B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E.com. Amazing Polly. And uh, uh-huh. she had a, a video called... Uh, uh, Guerrilla, mar- I think, with guerrilla marketing for a pandemic or pandemic marketing, and that's basically what that was. It was an event where, in which uh, Bill Gates got the World Health Organization, the CDC, mainstream media, and uh, yeah, the social media got them all together talking about what if this thing that nobody knows anything about. This is October now. If, what if this thing became a, a pandemic and, you know, what would people do? How would they react? And so they created this whole scenario um, with newscasts and everything. And, well, what do we do? What if people say they refuse to wear masks? And what if they refuse? And what, what if they put out news that's contrary? Well, yeah. we're going to flood the we're going to flood the zone. That's the language, flood the zone, meaning they're going to put out all this news to, to the contrary, we're going to shut anybody down. We're going to shut their channels down. We're going to censor these people. And to the point where in England, they might even arrest them or might do whatever. So Lenin would be very vociferous, to use an erudite word, be very vociferous about that sort of thing and say, yeah. hey, look, look at this. And now they got the military going into Liverpool, of all places, testing the children who are, who never get um who don't get this anyway and they've already proven that 99% of the population um won't get this you know that is 99% curable and it's just it's a nothing uh virus yeah yeah i definitely feel like um john john lennon would be very very like um questionable about the this situation and i definitely think he would be with how vocal he is about like personal freedoms and stuff like that, I think he would be very anti-mask as well and be very vocal and be like, well, let, let's see something about this and that. And, you know, I think yeah. he'd be very instrumental in like the whole not wearing a mask, like movement, if there is a movement still out there for that. Exactly. <laughs> he'd be looking at, he'd be looking at the actual science and, you know, which is what, what I've been doing. I've been catching a bit of heat for it as well, but you know, you know, John caught some heat. <laughs> yeah, right. For, for the things he did, laying in bed for peace, yeah. you know, and and getting slammed by the media and and everybody for uh, oh, who was a news reporter from the uh, actually with the New York Times and in, in 1969. Yeah, yeah. In a, Oh, oh, dear boy, you don't really believe that your music has has affected anyone to you know to go against this. this outrageous military action in in vietnam do you you don't really believe that do you yeah and then he was like talking about he's like the protest movement 
like you said it like that it was that interview you're talking about yeah yeah well, yeah lady she came into his office actually he was a at uh in in the studio someplace it might have even it might have been uh in england possibly i can't remember where it was but she was a she was yeah. bad news yeah and she was proven wrong as well you know yeah but but john's very uh and that's the reason why we love him today because he was all those things he was he was very much um you know he lamented his sort of violent side, which he he had yeah. sort of temper, especially on the drink, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, but uh, but he reconciled that, and he wanted peace. Yeah. And and he and he knew that people had to come to grips with uh, peace within themselves before they could uh, go public with it, and be, before they could uh, stop the war and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, he did live to to see the end of Vietnam. Did he have any like major thoughts on that? Do you think like um, the, uh, I'm not really too. I know he was uh, very against the Vietnam War, but like, did he have any like closing thoughts after Richard Nixon pulled us out of Vietnam? Or I don't, I don't know. I mean, he, the closing thoughts were uh, the closing thoughts came in the uh, a couple of interviews. He did a couple of interviews in uh, 1980. Was the uh, Rolling Stone interview. There was a second Rolling Stone. The first one was in 1971, yeah. and the second one was in 1980. And then the, of course, the Playboy interview. Oh yeah, that was a good interview. That the Playboy. And he he said things like, uh, you know, the 60s showed us the potential. I don't really think he said anything about the closure of that, but because there were so many other wars going on, and so many things, you know, you had the um, everybody. Behind, behind um, Reagan and behind um, Jimmy Carter, who came just before Reagan, and Margaret Thatcher and all these people who got blamed for all the wars and all mm -hmm. this stuff, the, there was the military-industrial complex and things like that, which uh, Kennedy was, was talking about uh, just before they took him out. Hello. <laughs> uh, you know, let's, let's not... Uh, you know, watch out for the shadow government and all these uh, shadow agencies and all these people like that. And Lenin knew about all of them. He knew about all that stuff. And he was, you know, the more you talk about it, the more trouble you get into, obviously, right? Yeah. Now, so, do, you, now do you think um, do you think what happened with John Lennon was a, was a setup? Like, do you think oh, John well, Lennon? Most definitely, yeah. With, without question, without question, it was a setup. Um, it, there were too many, uh, too many anomalies involved in it. First of all, the the guy who killed him, his killer, who who shall remain nameless. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, was never really a Beatle fan, and he also did not have money. He stopped in Chicago. And that's where he got the gun. Why? Why didn't he? Have, you know, just just so many weird things. He didn't have money. He was a Todd Rundgren fan. Yeah. He had gone to gone off to some Christian school. Uh huh. And I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a program out of England called Warren. I think it's Warren Brown. Okay. Hypnotist Warren Brown. Are you familiar with him at all? Uh, I don't believe so. 
he's a he's a hypnotist. He's a, he's quite a good one as well. Okay. And he did a program called The Assassin. Uh huh. And you should look it up. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. He did a program called The Assassin. See the full episode if you can. And they show how easily how how easily one can program just an average person into becoming an assassin. Mm. And that's pretty much what they did with yeah. this this bloke. They took him off to this Christian school. It was supposed to be like a Christian camp. Yeah. And they programmed him with MK Ultra. I don't know if you ever heard that term, but it's a CIA program. They used it on uh, Sirhan Sirhan, who was the alleged assassin of RFK um, back in 1968. Mm. He, his uh, bullets were not the did not do the final blow to RFK. It was an off-duty policeman who's, uh, who was also CIA, and I can't remember his name, but he was on the ground shooting upward in the kitchen at the, I want to say the Ambassador Hotel, but I, I get those two confused. Yeah. Um, the Ambassador might have been New York, and there was one in, in L.A., and they've torn it down since, so you can't go back yeah. and do forensics and measure and all that, you know. Yeah, but definitely well, I do think the, the Latin – assassination was definitely i feel like a setup because like you know it was just like it seemed so strange like he was coming all the way from like i believe hawaii and all like that like that takes like some dedication like you're you know you're like leaving you're like on like an 18 hour flight just to get somebody yeah like, yeah it seems it seems like an awful lot just to come after somebody because like um I think when he said one of his like motivators was uh well one he always goes back to saying he wanted to be famous and then the second one was like he was offended by John Lennon's bigger than Jesus statement yeah, because yeah. he was like a evangelical Christian or something like that and it like messed with his religious beliefs but um it just that whole thing seemed weird and like they said by the way he like stood when he shot John Lennon was like a professional shoots like he did like yeah he, like his feet were apart and that he was like the, the placements and stuff combat stance yeah and then there's and then all the other really strange have you, have you ever been have you ever been to the uh, dakota no i really i really want to i've been by um strawberry fields but i've not been near the dakota though oh okay strawberry fields in liverpool or strawberry fields uh uh New York. Uh, New York. I'll try to cross the street from it. You could have just walked right over. <laughs> I know. I, I was on a, I was on like um, a very uh, quick, brief stint there. Oh, okay, okay. So it was well, more of like um, we were seeing Central Park, and then we just had to get out of Dodge. You know? <laughs> oh, well, it's, a, it's a shame because it's really a, it's a sort of ominous place. It has a bit of a history to it. Um, <laughs> In the 1930s, there was a, an actor. I don't know. I can't remember his name. I, I want to say he was famous, but I, but you know, I probably would be wrong. So I'm not going to say he was famous, but he was an actor, and he committed suicide. I think he hung himself up in uh, either in their apartment or one of the apartments there. Well, it's just really strange. Yeah. And then, as you know, in 19 68 or 60 yeah let's see when would it have been 68 69 
uh, Roman Polanski film Rosemary's Baby up there. So there's all kinds of dark wow. energy, a very, very weird place of gargoyles and so forth. And just, just a bizarre building, really weird. Mm-hmm. But um, that night was rather unusual. That day was unusual because John had, uh, he had just completed the uh, uh, double fantasy that was done and everything else was done. He, I had done an interview and Yoko wanted him to do a bunch of things that day. I believe he had done um, a photo shoot. He was exhausted. He was completely clean. Yeah. And uh, do a photo shoot for Annie Leibovitz. Let's go uh, into the studio and, and uh, work on these acetates for the next <clears throat> Milk and Honey, I think was the next LP. Yeah. And a it bunch was, of other things. I yeah, knew I think the, there was a. I knew the final guitar solo he did was "Walking on Thin Ice" that that Yoko did. Yeah, yeah, and then I believe that the uh, the um, Playboy interview I think was that day as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean it was a lot of things in one day, and then that night the that was the very first time ever that I was told from from inside people that the bodyguard was called off that night. And also the limo, which normally goes down, there's a little um, sort of uh, walkway or driveway that goes down to a service entrance. And that's always, he was let off right at the door, not in the front, not at the gate. And that night the limo had stopped, I don't know, I think in Central Park, near 72nd, so he had to walk. Yeah. And uh, he'd met with the killer he'd met that early afternoon for an autograph. Yeah. And the question is, why didn't he kill him then? Why did he wait till that night? Okay. So, so I guess Yoko had walked on ahead and gotten into the building ahead of time. That's what I'd heard, Okay. And the way the thing is set up, we're really getting into like some some really weird, uncomfortable territory here. I don't know if we should even talk about this, but um, the trajectory of the bullets were very strange. It was straight on as he walked through the gates, but then there's also a little alcove within that alcove mm-hmm. across from the door where you walk in and there were bullets in that doorway as well. And the killer could not have possibly put bullets in from there. So was there a second gunman? Don't know. Pretty, pretty strange. Pretty yeah. strange. You know, I just put it out there, you know, I mean. Um, yeah, it's something for you to definitely it's, it's, think it's about. Very, it's obviously it's very upsetting. We can't bring him back. Yeah. Um, physically. Yeah. You know, though, you know, the, his spirit's alive in everybody, really. I mean, I, I, um. I go out there, I get wonderful reception from a lot of people in Liverpool and uh, Central Park in Manhattan. People just love it. They really mm. appreciate it. And um, great responses from people. I had uh, in Liverpool, a guy, guy was, uh, I was walking down the street and this gentleman like stood and stared with his, his, just, his jaw had dropped. And he walked yeah. up to me. And he poked me in the chest and he goes, 
bloody hell, are you real? Are you real? <laughs> <laughs> That's you cool. know, that was really cool. And, uh, you know, people on the subway, the police in New York, uh, just, just really, they appreciate it. Really, they really appreciate it because he, John meant a lot. I don't know if you know this, but uh, he meant an awful lot to the police. And in a strange irony, he gave the police force, I can't remember how much he, he donated, in the thousands, uh-huh. so that they could have bulletproof vests. Wow. And he was not wearing one that night, obviously. Yeah. But uh, the police, he, he, I uh, I remember one, one time I was walking, uh, I was looking, I was asking for directions. And these are the neighborhood guys. This is not... Uh, this is not the uh, SWAT team uh, people, you know. These are the guys you can approach. Yeah, you know, the, like the guys walking the beat. Brooklyn or whatever, you know, in front of the Port Authority. I was trying to get some pla- some, some address. I couldn't find some place. And uh, uh, I, I, I said, excuse me, could you have a guy goes, oh, my God, it's Sean Lennon. Oh, hey, oh, yeah, look, look at this. I, I go, now I hear that you're the first one that said that. Go, no, I don't give me that. you got the classic look at me. You've you, you, you got the, <laughs> you know, the, the hat and the glasses and a blue jean jacket. You look just like them, you know. <laughs> so, so, I, I get all, all that kind of stuff there, you know. It's great. And, and the foreigners really dig it. Now, we just performed for John Lennon's um, 80th birthday, which was a big event. Yeah. And uh, in... Um, 2010 was another huge event. Thousands of people had come through the park. It mm. took forever to get out of the park. This time, sadly, there were only of probably two to three hundred people at a time. Yeah. But it was still a pretty good number considering everybody was, you know, filled with fear over this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it was still a still a pretty good number, I think. Yeah. Now, is it like I know it's a public park, you know, you can get into strawberry fields, but is it easier to like, you know, go to the Dakota? Because like I looked on the Dakota's website and and I saw like reviews and they said uh, the downside about living in the Dakota is always there's Beatles fans. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, waiting in front, I don't think you can get inside. I mean, uh, uh, a friend had uh, a very famous stepmom who who lived up there. I'm not a name dropper, so I'm not going to okay. go yeah, in. That's go, fine. Go, it doesn't not matter. not going to go there with that. But, but she was very, very famous and sort of reclusive in later years. And she uh, she lived up there. And he says, no, no, no problems, no dark energy. That's a wonderful place. And she lived there all, you know, all of her life. And she loved the place. Oh, okay. But nobody really gets up there unless you know somebody. You yeah. Know. Now, have you had but, any experience um, with uh, anybody who was in the like Beatles inner circle? Like, have you met any of um, any of the well, Beatles yeah. siblings, or like uh, even like met Yoko in passing? Not, not a family, but I have uh, interviewed on the radio show, uh, which, if I can dare put a plug in for it, Len Johnston's Parallel Universe Thursdays on OurGenerationRadio.com. 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and midnight GMT. <laughs> Just a plug. Try to keep it in. We love it. We'll <laughs> yeah, we love it. it. Yeah. I've I've interviewed uh, Tony Bramwell, as you know, Beatles tour reporter. Yeah. Um, uh, Ivor Davis, who was the Beatles' exclusive, uh, um, what do you call press, uh, 
you, you know, interviewer, uh, exclusive interviewer in North America between 1964 and 1966. Mm-hmm. And uh, other people, you know, who knew them from, from childhood, you know, Michael Hill, who was the, the guy who actually interviewed John Lennon to rock and roll to um, Little Richard. Mm. as a, a, a teenager you know everybody says oh elvis he was really into elvis but when he heard little richard um doing long tall sally he just he flipped you know that's yeah. that's when he like really uh got into it it's cool do you you do know you ever... so people like that oh go ahead oh. so i'm sorry go, go ahead well, I was just going to ask if you have ever had the opportunity to perform with like other um, tribute acts, like any like any Beatles oh, yeah. tribute acts or like Yoko Ono tribute acts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been. I'm sort of the uh, the guy who's slotted in replacement uh, guy who's um, played with different bands here and there. Very cool. And um, but I prefer the solo thing, really. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the 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 funny thing is to be the one guy in the band who's I who's the ringer, and everybody else is like, well, now they could be so and so. Well, they're stand, standing on this side of the stage, so they must be, you know, this must be Paul, or this must be George, or this must be, yeah. and you know, when you put on the the color coded suits, as I call them, <laughs> you know. Oh, I get it. All right, now I know who that is. I know, you know. Yeah. So, but I, yeah, I prefer the solo, the solo bit, and which allows me to do what whatever I choose, really. Mm. You know. Have you but ever? I, but I have done that, and we performed. And that's the other thing I was going to say. We did perform. Um, that there is video of that up there as well on YouTube. If you want to find me on YouTube, by the way, all you got to do is type in "time traveling John Lennon." Yeah. Or go to my website, timetravelingjohnlennon.com, and you'll find me. My my official YouTube name is Lennon Returns, but I tell people time traveling John Lennon because there is a another a lookalike out there who sort of pirated my branding, which I I can't talk about that for legal reasons right now. I'm not sure. pleased about it. Yeah, and um, that's something that needs to be. Uh, he took his lucky break and broke it in two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a little, a, a little, a little Beatles <laughs> reference in there. <laughs> yeah, you took. Now, what can be done for you? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that's a really interesting. Have you had anybody? Um, have you ever had a, a Dirty Mac uh, tribute band ever approach you? Like, uh, we need, we're short of John Lennon. You know what? That that would be a great one. I would I would jump at that. I really would. Uh, somebody doing Eric, and uh, and uh, Keith Richard. You know your own soul brother, Keith Richard. And uh, I I do have a, a friend back in Los Angeles who's uh, quite quite a good uh, Mitch uh, Mitchell. You know, <laughs> quite a good drummer, quite the good drummer, and uh, so. That would be uh, that would be a really good one to do. Nobody's done that. I would I would love to do that. Hey, if anybody's do listening, you? you know, contact uh, Len Johnson, man. We want to set up a, a Dirty Mac, uh, yeah, right a tribute band. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do we'll do your blues and uh, you know things like things like that. You know, 
Uh, I had uh, the chance to meet, um, I met both um, Denny Lane and uh, Alan White. Uh, uh, Alan White was the drummer of the Plastic Ono Band. Uh, he was very nice, um, very yeah, soft-spoken. Yeah. Like, um, he always talked kind of down here. <laughs> and, like, and you would think, like, somebody who was, like, in a band with, like, John Lennon, very vocal and outward and, like, you know, played some, like, you know, monumental music throughout history you know you go up to alan white and he's just like oh very like soft-spoken and quiet and very nice guy um i met denny lane he was a little bit more of he was uh put it politely he was under the influence when i met him uh, <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh speaking of which i'm i'm sorry i'm i'm uh I'm actually uh, remiss. Uh, I did meet uh, Pete Best. Oh, very so, cool. So, so yeah, uh, Pete. Oh, he's a sweetheart. Yeah. He's a he's a, he's. A, I gotta tell you, he's a a total gentleman. He's a sweetheart, and um, he's he's held up very well over the years. And um, yeah, he's still performing in in the um, uh. Oh, in his in his basement in the club there, you know the uh, I want to say the jacaranda. I keep calling it the jacaranda, which is uh, you know the other the other club that they played in anyway. The uh, the Casbah, Casbah, you know the, that um, his his mother created the club so the Beatles could perform there in mm. in the basement. And people still go every weekend to hear them. I, I don't know how it is now with the whole Corvette, uh, you know sickness thingy that they putting around you know but <laughs> anyway but it's great and it is it's a sweat box it's a total sweat box but it's a lot of fun yeah you know? sounds like fun so is there like a big line to meet like pete is he like very personable like if you see him like perform like is there like a meet and greet at the end or yeah yeah oh absolutely he's very personable and he's very approachable yeah you know very cool so um you know, he might, um, you know, I think uh, you go up, go upstairs and he's got like sort of a, a green room or something like that. And you kind of maybe chat with him a little bit. Yeah. And uh, his his son is there. His son performs as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a nice little thing. There's all kinds of memorabilia, uh, some artwork from John Lennon on the walls and things like that. Photographs. Yeah. Um, uh, what's what's her name was there as well? Uh, good old Frida. Good old Frida was there. You know the uh, the uh, president of the Beatles fan club. Yeah. <laughs> run run into her there as well. So she's very charming, very very charming lady. You know. Yeah. Now I, I always wondered like why I, everybody always knows like Pete Best who was like a member of the Beatles that like was not no longer in them. I wonder why like people always remember Pete Best and not like Stuart Sutcliffe. Is it because like Pete Best kind of left at like bad terms? They kind of like threw him out, or like whereas like Stuart Sutcliffe kind of just like left on his own. Stuart, I think uh, I think the whole thing with Stuart was he was more he wasn't really a player, but that's the beautiful thing about John. John, if he if he liked you, you were in the band. You know, mm -hmm. it didn't matter. Stuart was not a bass player. He was not a musician. He never was. And so <clears throat> if you see some of those photographs of Hamburg or whatever, mm -hmm. or 
the cavern or I think it was mainly Hamburg. Yeah. He's got his back turned to the audience because he's not really playing the bass. Oh, wow. They didn't, they didn't care. Yeah. He was never, he couldn't play. He could not play. Mm. And, but John didn't care. He, he loved him. He was his close, close, close dear friend. And when he decided that he was going to stay behind, John didn't take it very well. You know, he was going to stay behind and get married to Astrid, who um, basically Astrid. There, that was kind of the group over there. Astrid and uh, Klaus Vollmann mm-hmm. played. You know, who did the uh, the artwork on uh, Revolver? Amazing, yeah. amazing artist and bass player who played with Eric and and John in uh, in Toronto for live live piece. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, to answer your question, Pete, um, a couple of things. There's a couple of things that happened. One was um, George Martin was not. He was never really impressed with Pete's drumming. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Nor nor was he impressed with Ringo's drumming. By the way, so yeah. they had a, a session drummer, and I'll we'll talk later. Uh, it's a trivia question. Uh, <laughs> now the problem is now you got time to think about it, don't you? Anyway, <laughs> I already know. I already, I think I already know the question about. It. You already know the question, all right? <laughs> but, but so that kind of kills that one. But but anyway, neither of them played on the very first. Um, yeah, they didn't um, play on Love Me, Love Me Do. Yeah, Love Me Do. They didn't play on that. So it's uh the the drummer that did play on there. He was a studio drummer. He was I think it was like Alan Williams. Uh, no, no. Alan Williams, uh, uh, Alan Williams was the uh, the first manager, which okay. was another one of my trivia questions. But that's all right. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll skip over that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Andy, Andy White. Oh, Andy White. Yeah, you had the initials right, Cole. Yeah. Yeah, you were you were right. You were absolutely right on the initials there. Uh, yeah, it was uh, probably my my Beatles knowledge got switched up there. Was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. He went on. He went on to play and sit in on uh, people like Herman's Hermits and Tom Jones. Uh, it's not unusual. Rod Stewart. He, he sat in with him. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Newley, another one. Anthony Newley did the uh, did the uh, song theme song for for Thunderball. Hmm. That's cool. I believe, uh, uh, or, or from Russia with Love. One of was one of them from Russia with Love. The, the James Bond. I think it was that from Russia with Love. Yeah, I think it was that one. Anthony Newley, and Thunderball. I think was uh, Tom Jones. Yeah, and then obviously Paul did Live and Let Die. <laughs> yeah, right. And Marlena Dietrich of all people, as she was still uh, performing back in the nineteen sixties. Hmm. So that's the cabaret, you know, for the, for the younger listeners out there, Marlena Dietrich was, <laughs> she was the one who did, uh, um, all the cabaret stuff from, uh, Germany and, uh, you know, Mac the knife. Yeah. And th- things like that. You know, all the Bertolt Breck things, Bertolt Breck, mm. uh, th- the three penny opera, three penny which is uh, where, where a lot of those things came from, uh, the, the sort of beat, beatnik uh, era stuff, the, the German underground wearing the black uh, polar neck sweaters and the, the, the Beatles haircut and those things. Uh, what's his name? Um, 
from Saturday Night Live who did uh, oh Dieter Sprockets, you know Dieter Sprockets, right? Dieter Sprockets, <laughs> yeah. Sprockets. That's him. That's my monkey. Speaking of Saturday Night Live, um, what do you think the reception would have been if John and Paul did go out to Saturday Night Live when um, I, I, what's the what's the head guy of Saturday Night Live? Oh, Lauren Michaels. Oh, Lauren yeah, Lauren Michaels. Michaels. Yeah. Then you get on there I and think... say John Lennon and Paul McCartney are in New York City. We'll give them like five thousand dollars if they come out to, you know, come here to the studio. And they, I, I think. I, the... Yeah, I think everything would have gone up for grabs. I think people would have, would have gone absolutely insane over it, you know. And I don't, I don't think it was about the money. Yeah. I, I don't. I mean, what, what do they care at that point? Five thousand, uh, probably or some. I mean, you know, when they played the Ed Sullivan show, um, Brian Epstein got, you know, he booked them very tentatively, very cautiously, mm -hmm. uh, three performances for $10,000, which is absolutely ridiculously low and unheard of, mm -hmm. especially when performers like uh, Dick Dale mm -hmm. of the uh, Deltones, the surf guitar, yeah, uh, got a, he booked a performance there for $10,000, one performance. Wow. So pretty, pretty amazing. But I, to answer your question, I think they, I think it would have gone up for grabs, really. Mm. Do you think they were what? Are we saying? Sorry. I think they were considering it. I think they really were considering it. You know. Yeah. Do you think they would have uh, the Beatles would have ever got back together? Like I always said, if they were going to come back together, I think that they would come back for like that uh, live aid show that they did like for the AIDS benefit. Like I thought John would have like gotten them back together just to raise money for that. That's a very probably that's very likely uh, something something like that would have been uh, some kind of a fundraiser because everything was morphing all those things all those live aid shows and all those things spawned from uh events like the bed in and things like that yeah um john John did um uh, a benefit for uh what's his name um uh, God, oh, what's his name? I can't think of his Attica. Attica State was very, was probably the first one, mm -hmm. you know, where the uprising in uh, Attica, New York, where the guards had shot uh, 40, 43, 43 people died, you know, needlessly died. Mm. And uh, John Sinclair is the one I was thinking of. They gave him uh, 10 years in prison for, for, possession of marijuana which yeah. was illegal at the time so they did a benefit and got him out mm. very impressive really and that was in um oh i want to say dearborn it wasn't dearborn michigan what's what's the other one uh, in, in michigan there you know <clears throat> dearborn. so all those things spawned from that really I was surprised that he wasn't in the concert for Bangladesh that George put on. Yeah, I think um, at that point there was a little bit of a, a fracas between uh, George and John. So um, even though, even though uh, John had George play on a lot of things, you know, he yeah. had him play on um, "Just Give Me Some Truth" and uh, "How Do You Sleep," songs like that. Yeah. But uh, 
I think uh, John was a bit hurt that he was not even mentioned in George's book, um, I Me Mine. Mm. So that was, that was probably had a little something to do with it. And John was, um, and they had a mutual friend, by the way, as another one uh, who I had on as a guest. He's a very, very dear, dear, sweet man, um, truly a holy man, Guru Das. Guru Das. Was sent from San Francisco to London to meet the Beatles by uh, Swami Bhaktivedanta Prabhupada of mm. the Hare Krishnas. And that was in 1968. They just sent him over there on a lark and said, go, go meet him. Start up a temple. I said, well, how am I going to do it? You can do it. You do it. And they just hung out and hung out and hung out. And eventually he met George Harrison. And uh, they became friends. And uh, George was, was very humbled by the whole thing. And he eventually became a devotee. Mm. And then George put the money in to creating the uh, Radha Krishna temple over there, which was a big deal. Mm. Have you been there? I've not been. I've not been to the temple, no. Mm. Uh, I really should go, though. Yeah. So have you been to, like, all the famous, like, uh, Beatle locations? Like, have you been to, like, Abbey Road? And I've been, I've been outside. I, I'm ready to do a bit of recording, <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, like you know, it's just, Strawberry Fields and uh, all of those places, uh, I, I highly recommend. If you're a, you're a Beatles fan, you got to go to uh, Friar Park to see mm -hmm. where George was and, and Tittenhurst. And uh, you'll probably see, you know, where, where John grew up, obviously, his, his home is quite palatial by comparison to the other Beatles. And now it's, um, I think it's it's part of the, you know the state. The um, the state owns it, I think. Mm. And yet, I saw something the other day. I saw a, an article where it said it was a bed and breakfast. I'm going, that can't be. It can't be a bed and breakfast. It's got to be part of the the uh, the state still. You know. Yeah, I thought um, I thought it was uh, George's house that became a bed and breakfast, or like uh, George's sister opened up a. Beatles themed bed and breakfast. Oh, that would be quite cool. I, I don't know. Um, that's very possible. Yeah. I have a question. Um, did you, did you see the movie yesterday? I have not seen the movie. I did see, uh, somebody told me about it. I mean, the concept just seemed absolutely mad to me. <laughs> I, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how, how that would happen that, you know, the power grid goes down and then, uh, when the power grid comes back, everybody forgets who the Beatles are, except for one guy, right. and and he gets recognized as being the the author of all these songs the Beatles wrote. I it seems a bit far fetched to me. I don't know. I'd probably have to see it to you know. Yeah, I it did was... see it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I did see a snippet of the guy who played Lennon, and you know. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I was just going to kind of ask about your opinion of that because that was kind of like the big uh, spoiler or surprise yeah. of the movie was that at the very end, he 
runs into a living version of John Lennon yeah. and has a conversation with him just to sort of see if what he's doing is okay. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it makes me wonder like what did, cause Paul actually saw the movie in theaters. Like I wonder what his reaction was that to that, sure. to that scene. Cause like he talks about, he liked the movie, but he's, he didn't, um, you know, he didn't get into that part, I guess. Cause like oh, yeah. spoil the movie, spoil the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would be nice if they had, had somebody who, uh, you know, probably sounded like him. Yeah, I, know, I thought I thought the least... vocals for him were not very as accurate. No, no, not at all. Um, I believe that was the the chap who played in Train Spotting. I think. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. He was also actually uh, in a Bond film, I believe, in the late '90s with Pierce Brosnan. So, okay. There's a lot of Bond references going on as well today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of Bond references. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then to bring that full circle, I think um, Sean Connery was on uh, the. Uh, there's a, a CD for George Martin. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I, I think it's called A Day in His Life or something like this. When he's got everybody, he produced all these different people doing Beatles songs. Yeah, yeah. And from what I heard, I think they were mostly John Beatles songs, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I think maybe they're everybody's Beatles songs. But you got, for example, you got Jim Carrey doing I Am The Walrus. Yeah, yeah, I heard that one. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think, which is, which is, he really let loose on it. It was quite impressive. It was quite good, you know. Yeah. Got a, got a chuckle out of George Martin as he, as he produced it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, he also had uh, he also had Sean Connery hmm. doing uh, uh, I believe in my life I think. I'll have to Did check that out. Me on that. Did it sound yeah. good? I I've not heard it. I have not heard that one. Mm. But That'd I think it'd be awesome in, could be pretty interesting. So it comes full circle because uh, in 1964 in Goldfinger he's. Uh, He's making some reference in the film. He's talking to uh, talking to somebody. I can't I can't remember. It's Shirley Eaton or somebody. Mm-hmm. And he says uh, there are certain things you don't do, uh, like listening to the Beatles without without earphones, without ear without earplugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so it comes full circle, you know. Yeah. What uh What is your favorite Lennon Beatles song? Uh, my favorite now, I've got a few of them, I guess, for different periods. I think uh, probably um, for the earlier days, I love uh, A Hard Day's Night, mm-hmm. or I, I Call Your Name, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. sort of getting into early, uh, mid, mid-period, Nowhere Man or Help, mm-hmm. I think, you know. And uh, She Said, She Said, I love that one. And Strawberry Fields. Yeah, yeah. You know, did you ever see the the precursor video to the Strawberry Fields intro? Like he played it in like like a full yeah. like three years before the actual yes. release song. Yeah, I caught that. In fact, I I caught that before anybody made note of it on the internet because it was a it was like a backstory. Uh, what you're talking about is a film called uh, Beatles' First Visit to America. It was done by the uh, Maisel's brothers, Albert and 
uh, can't remember his brother, but anyway, they they did the very first Before a Hard Day's Night documentary on the Beatles, and the film, the film, the footage that didn't get released is a sort of behind the scenes in the hotel room and different things like that. The Washington going to uh, on the train, them clowning around. This was really like a Hard Day's Night before a Hard Day's Night came out, yeah. but in the hotel room. Uh, John is just sort of mucking about with a uh, a, um, a melodica, which yeah. is a little thing that looks like a – it's an instrument you blow into, just a little – almost a child's toy, but it's got keys on it. So it's like you're blowing into a – you know, Harmonica a keyboard type Miniature thing. harmonica keyboard piano thingy with, yeah. a, with a tube. And the melody – the uh, descending melody line he's playing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct everybody if they're wrong. Catch picking up on it. But it's the intro opening to Strawberry Fields. You know, and in, in however he plays. You know, and so somebody had picked up on that as well and done a, a feature on it. Um, I think it's the guy. There's a guy who's doing, doing. He's dissecting all these songs, and quite nicely as well. I think he. I think he uh, talked about that as well recently. Yeah. And he and he says, did Paul? Paul created the intro. He says for that, and did Paul subconsciously hear that, and three years later put that on? Mm. We don't know. Yeah, and he also did uh, work on Strawberry Fields. I think it was uh, he was like writing it in uh, when he was on the filming of uh, How I Won the War. Right. Yeah, yeah it was in uh, uh, in um, in Spain, Alamaria, Spain. Yeah. Isn't there a uh, story with Obladi Oblada? Was was it John Lennon that just sort of uh, came up with the intro on the the piano intro on the spot for that, or was that McCartney? I can't remember that that one. I, I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure. I know John was, he got, he got fed up. That's one of the songs that when they were fighting in the studios, he was, uh, not, uh, not pleased with. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I remember he was the... like, Opla D Opla F and da. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. got... <laughs> That and Maxwell's Silver Hammer, he definitely didn't like. Everybody hated that song except Paul because they did like a million <laughs> takes of it. Oh yeah, he kept going over it and over it and over <laughs> it. And one of one of Paul's uh, perfectionistic uh, things, you know, he uh, he had uh, a, a sort of a run-in with. Um, oh God, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Jimmy McCullough. Jimmy McCullough, the uh, guitarist in Wings, okay. mm-hmm. after uh, in a hotel room, and um, Jimmy had finally had it, and somebody literally had to restrain him and hold him back. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> because he was he was he was packing and he was going to do something. He was so he was so pissed off, and he was in an adjoining room and he was just absolutely had had it, you know. Mm-hmm. So the story goes. Anyway, I was not I was not there, so I can't really, um, you know, corroborate the story. But I'd I'd heard in passing from different people who were there. 
Man, it kind of, uh, it kind of like after you hear something like that, like you know, he was about to like attack Paul. You know, kind of makes like the the album Japanese Tears like a as dramatic as that was of a breakup kind of thing (laughs) makes that look like nothing. Like, yeah, right. Oh my gosh. But he did, uh, he did go over things quite a bit. He did quite, quite a bit. He's a perfectionist, and he's got the best players for him. If you've seen him. Uh, perform live. He's got. I'm telling you, those people are spot on. He's he's got a great uh, he's got a great band behind him. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I actually have a a funny Paul McCartney story. Um, and you met he, him? I didn't meet him. No, but he personally knows and wished happy birthday to my fiance's great uncle. Um, my fiance's great uncle is Charlie Gracie. Mm-hmm. So Charlie Gracie, okay. Yeah, so um, that that was pretty neat getting to see like Paul McCartney like sing um, Charlie Gracie's one of his songs and then uh, wish him a happy birthday like on YouTube. Mm. It was neat. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love when they do things like that. You know, it's very uh, very human, very down to earth. You know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you said you have some trivia for us. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. I do. All right. <laughs> Cole's and probably going to wind up carrying this for us. But all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my <laughs> yeah. best, man. I, I don't know. I had that, uh, that faux pas earlier for the, the mixing up uh, Alan White with Alan Williams. Or Andy, yeah, White, yeah, Andy White with Alan Williams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, or you could... Uh, or you could mix them up and say Andy Williams, you know, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Moon <laughs> River. Yeah, I remember, I remember him. Some of the old, <laughs> the older crowd who are listening in here, you know, Andy Williams with the, uh, the the uh, creamy, uh, the smooth voice as they used to call him. I and I should look to see if he's ever done, if he's ever covered any uh, any Beatles songs, for mm. that matter. You there know? you go. Maybe they had him on his variety show. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Here's a here's a very easy one. This is a giveaway, practically. What song did um, Frank Sinatra? What Beatles song did Frank Sinatra say was the most beautiful love song ever written? All right. Do you want to take a crack at it, Andrew? I, I mean, I already know the answer, but no, I'm not going to embarrass myself. Take Something. Okay, yeah, that was too easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. his cover of it was terrible, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, it's it's the Vegas style, baby. You know, yeah. I did actually listen to that song on the car ride over here today. Oh, actually. something, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, all right then. On on the Frank Sinatra uh, uh bit, uh, we'll, we'll keep on this here. Frank Sinatra. Ask the Beatles to write a song for him. What was the title of the song that they came up with? That's something I don't know. <laughs> and and was he pleased with the song? I'm gonna say that he was not pleased with the song because, like, he seemed like it was. Okay, well that's correct. He was not. <laughs> yeah. What was the what was the name of the song? It, it was a song called Suicide. 
Yeah, that doesn't uh, sound like yeah. I'd be pleased with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, the title itself was was uh, you, you can find it um, out there still. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, what did they? So did they actually record it? Uh, Paul did a demo of it. Something like that, you know. Mm. And uh, but uh, obviously he wasn't pleased with it. <laughs> yeah. He probably called it something else, you know. Most definitely. But uh, I- I'm sure he would have been much more pleased to do something like uh, "Here, There, Everywhere." Yeah. Yeah. Or, or yesterday, or um, for no one, mm-hmm. which were probably his best works, really. And my my opinion, if you ask me what what uh, I think Paul's best works were as a Beatle, or or for all time, you know, live and let die, obviously. But um, here, there, everywhere, which was John's favorite as well. Yesterday, and mm-hmm. for no one, for no one was absolutely a masterpiece. I think. Yeah. Okay, now let me ask you this: What uh, what was the inspiration for "I Am the Walrus"? Okay, so that was based off of I think a letter that John got, and they said that they were dissecting. It was like a a class was dissecting Beatles lyrics, and then so he threw together like um uh, like I think um. Uh, yellow matter custard dripping from a dead dog's eye. Like that was like a tongue in cheek reference to like, see if you could dissect that. And what does that mean? And what does that mean? Do you know what that means? Uh, gobbledygook. <laughs> no. Okay. That, that is a, a, a disgusting little child's poem from a Liverpool. One of those weird little poems that you grow up with. It's a, uh, Yellow matter custard, green slop pie, all wrapped together with a dead dog's eye. Slap it on a body. Uh, uh, a body is a um, is a sandwich. That's a that's a term a British, uh, a um, a Liverpudlian term for sandwich. Uh, slap it on a body, twelve inches twelve inches thick, and then wash it down with a cup of cold sick. Mm. So, the, so, so that's kind of a more extreme version of our of our jump rope song, uh, Abraham Lincoln. What the hell have you been drinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, it's a bit of a departure from that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let me ask you this then. Um, you probably know all of these, and you seem like you're pretty well versed here. Who played drums on Rain? I know that's I know that's Ringo's favorite Beatles song. You got it like uh do you get, can you give us a hint? Oh, if I gave you a hint it would give it away, you see. Oh, man. Well, um or right, I see I'll say this much, it wasn't Ringo. <laughs> it wasn't Ringo. Well, I know I knew Paul played a few of the drum solos on the White Album when Ringo temporarily left, so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go with Paul. Okay, very good. All right, you you win that one as well. Wow, good job, Cole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Basically, um, uh, Ringo was uh, noodling around trying to find a, an intro to it, and Paul 
Paul says, uh, he says, why don't why don't you play it like like this? You know, why don't you try the, try this? And and Ringo says, well, are you doing such a good job, Paul? Why don't why don't you do it? You know, <laughs> so he did. You know? I like it. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, God, I'm sure you get these are probably too easy now. Now nah, they're probably getting too easy here. Um, what was the inspiration for She Said, She Said? Here, Andrew, I, you I, take this one. No, you I, this. I literally got nothing. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> I, was, I was just thinking to myself, I was thinking, um, well, the one thing um in a day, a day in a life like words are flowing out like an endless stream that was like talking about john and like he was just thinking about cynthia going on and on about something but oh that's yeah that was uh that's across the universe yeah right she said she... which actually stat actually started off as a a sort of a rant against a, an argument that they had and then he took it and he put it into a, a spiritual song yeah. All right. Uh, I guess I'll I'll, uh, I'll give on this one. <laughs> All right. So you don't know. She said. She said <clears throat> was from a uh, an acid trip that they had at Doris Day's house in mm. 1965 when they were renting uh, renting a home. Uh, you know when they were visiting in in uh, in L.A. Okay. So basically, Mal was there, Malcolm Evans, the road manager, and I think uh, Neil Aspinall and uh, Peter Fonda and Jim McGuinn from The Doors. I'm, I'm sorry, Jim McGuinn from The Doors, from, uh, from The Birds, sorry, from The Birds. Mm. And um, Peter Fonda just kept saying, I know what it's like to be dead. I know what it's like to be dead. He kept, we just kept whispering it, you know, uh, because he had, when he was a child, he apparently shot himself accidentally in the stomach with a gun oh my and he had died on, died on the operating table and they brought him back and he just kept saying it. I know what it's like to be dead. And he said, yeah, Johnson, for, for Christ's sake, shut up. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to know, you know, <laughs> that's like and, the last uh, thing you want to hear on an acid trip too right yeah, last thing you want to hear on an acid trip and so so he, that's when he wrote the lyrics she said she said i know what it's like to be dead so that became the, the lyric you know mm -hmm. and then john kept saying back I, I you're making me feel like i've never been born you know <laughs> okay you're making me feel like i've never been born so that, that became the song and um the the reporter, some reporter came to the door and they were trying to pretend like, you know, they said, oh my God, they must know that the, we're, we're acting totally abnormal, which they weren't. They were acting just, they were told everything was normal, but their experience was just extraordinary because they were on an acid trip. Yeah. But they let him in anyway. <laughs> and you can imagine. Mm -hmm. so, so that's where that came from. All right. My next one. Um, who played lead guitar on Taxman? Hmm. 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was another. was another one where um, uh, Paul was showing George how he would like the song to be played. Mm, okay. And and George again replied, "Well, you're doing such a good job of it. Why don't you play it?" Yeah. And so he did. Man, I, I thought that was like, you know, I thought that was solely like, I, I'm learning a lot today because like, yeah. you know, with George and Taxman, like I I thought they, they really didn't want to do it. And I, I didn't know that like Paul took like such a exception to that and like uh, took over the guitar part for that. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, and it's quite an involved uh, guitar piece. It's very impressive. Yeah, you see, know? my mind was going to like a like a guest guitarist, yeah. like a Clapton on uh, "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Yeah, right. So right. I was thinking it was somebody like from a different band. <laughs> yeah, that's what my thoughts were, and I was just like, "Well, who was George Harrison hanging around with at that time?" Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, and uh, for the, for that matter, since you mentioned that, uh, George Harrison played on one of Eric Clapton's songs as a guest. What is the name of that song? Oh, I for, I used to know this in a past life. <laughs> oh, man. What year was it? What year was the song released? I, I might be able to get it from that. Was it was it a Cream Days? Was it Derek and the Dominoes? Or was this Clapton solo? It was... Uh, um, it was a believe it was Eric Clapton's solo days. So 68, it was 68, you know, I mean, I think it was like just post, just post cream. Mm. My dad's going to kill me for not knowing this. My mom's going <laughs> to kill me, man. She's a big <laughs> Clapton fan. Uh... Yeah. 19 is 1968. It's, it's not crossroads because that was, that didn't no, 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 no. <clears throat> Yeah, I got it. It was actually, well, you know what? Technically, it was cream. It was still cream at that point. So I stand, I stand corrected. But, um, all right, you give up? Yeah. Yeah. I give up. Yeah. Okay. It's called, uh, badge. Oh yeah, badge. Oh my. Oh, (laughs) I feel so stupid now. I I remember now. Oh my God. And the, the funny thing is, uh, there was uh, the the way it got its title is that it was scribbled out and trying to decipher uh, George Harrison's scribble. Mm-hmm. It was v- virtually uh, indecipherable, and he wrote the word bridge for <laughs> where the bridge was, and he couldn't. And Clapton thought that was the title to the song. He thought it was badge. So we called it Badge. Mm, that's too funny. Yeah. I like that. So there you have it. All right, let's see. Do I, what do I have left here? All right. Um, all right, now getting a little more challenging here. Uh, name two Beatles songs that have a ska beat. A ska beat? All right, Andrew, you're the one that has uh, the the mu- the music engineer background, so you're gonna you're gonna have to. 
Yeah, but I don't know if I know this. Well, what's a ska beat sound like? A ska beat is like... Yeah, it's like really accentuated. Uh, you know, it's, it's like it's like yeah, it's upbeats. It's it's upbeats, and uh, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, let's see, <clears throat> like Junior Mervin. There's a Lee Scratch Perry, Junior Mervin. Police and thieves in the street. Ding, ding, ding. Oh yeah. Oh oh oh. She God, she's a yeah, woman. I'm gonna go a, with one. Yeah, with... Pre- precursor to. Well, that that's quite good. That's quite good. Uh, um, that's. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that. I guess you could say that. I was thinking of a couple of others, but all right. So we could say that. But yeah, Scar being the precursor to, um, you know, Jimmy Cliff and. Um, you know, reggae and stuff like that, right? Okay. Does that help you at all, Andrew? I mean, I know. And it was I... very, and it was very deliberate. I'll give you, I'll give you a clue. Millie Small had uh, written a song that was popular right around that period. My boy, Lollipop. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a year for the first one. All right, nineteen sixty-three. And it's not the whole song, it's in the solo. I'm trying, I'm, th- I'm thinking, I'm like cycling through my head. I was just like, because I'm trying to think, it was 1963, Please Please Me or with the Beatles, because like now I'm starting to go down through the set list. And it's in 3-3 uh, and not 4-4. Four, four. All right, I'll tell you. I call your name. Oh. Yeah. You're the solo. It was very deliberate, deliberate scar. Huh. Yeah, I'll have to take a listen. I totally wasn't even thinking that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was too busy. I was thinking. I I was thinking to myself. I'm like, is it a taste of honey? Tasting much? Because like you said, when it was like an upbeat, and I was just like, hmm. That could be interesting done in a ska. I'll have to I'll have to try that. Hmm. All right. What so what's the other what's the other song? I'll tell you. All right, from nineteen nineteen sixty-eight. It's it's not perfectly ska, but it is very close. And you've already mentioned it here in this podcast today. Was it during the trivia? <laughs> Did it come up as another trivia song? Um, I I don't think it was a part of a trivia. I think we just we just brought it up somehow. Okay. Obla D, Obla D. I was literally just, I was just like, I was thinking, I was going through, because like what, 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 how my brain is working right now, I'm going down like through the, the, the albums and I was thinking, I was like, okay, white album. And then I was like thinking for the first track down and I was just yeah. like, I literally was just playing the piano part on my, on my lap here. And I'm yeah. like, is that, yeah. I'm like, is that yeah. accentuated upbeats? Like, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. yeah I was, <laughs> 
Yeah, I was. You know what? When you first did the explain to me what a ska beat was, you were kind of doing the opla di opla da. Yeah. 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 Oh man. All right. Wasn't Molly in opla di opla da based off of somebody's girlfriend, like a famous person's girlfriend, Molly something? Now I feel like so so. Sir Galahad in Monty Python the Holy Grail. Oh, I don't know that. And he gets cast into the gorge. <laughs> now the shoe is on the other foot. <laughs> what do you mean, African or European? <laughs> I don't know. Uh. I Amali, I I you know what? You now you've stumped me. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, then uh, Opla Di Opla Da, it gets its like name from uh, a guy. There was this African guy in a club that Paul McCartney knew. And then he used to say, Opla Di La Opla Da, brother, life goes on. And then wow. He, he liked there that. There you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, I got a question for you for Beatles trivia. Okay. Oh, boy. This, this one might be easy, but not everybody knows this. What is Paul McCartney's real name? Oh, uh, James. Yeah. That's why my middle name is James after really? James Paul McCartney. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's one for you. What was, what was John Lennon's first, what was John Lennon's cat's name as a child? <laughs> I know Paul's dog is Martha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm being a complete smart ass here, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Cole, is, Cole needs it. Guy. <laughs> this is one for diehard fans here. No, I don't know. I'm going to go with like Cheeto or like Ginger or something. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, not even. Never, never. <laughs> not, not, is not it like a, is it, is it like a woman's name or like, is it like a traditional name or is it like something like it, it's English? It's a traditional uh, male Irish name. <laughs> Seamus. Barney. Uh, what? No, no, not that. Not that traditional. <laughs> All right. What was the name of the enchanter who lived beyond these woods in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Tim. Very good. You should have said it as a question, though. There are, there are some who call me Tim. <laughs> Greetings, Tim the Enchanter. <laughs> Greetings, King Arthur. You, you know my name? I do. <laughs> you know what? I think you. I think you have a uh, a great career as just like reenacting that entire movie. I think you could do like a whole radio show just yeah. reenacting that entire I, movie. I probably, you know, I probably could. <laughs> Python meets the Beatles, you know. There you go. <laughs> well, George Harrison remortgaged his house to make Life of Brian. He did. He really wow. did. That's the great thing is uh, he he loved those guys and he was uh, he formed uh, handmade films and did the Ruttles. Mm-hmm. And uh, quite fascinating. I did a show. Um, I did a show last year. I think it was that we lost Neil Ennis. You know Neil Ennis, right? Of yeah, the Ruttles, yeah. right? And God rest his soul, but he was, he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. And he was around, you know, during a magical mystery tour. He was one of the, uh, 
the um, what do you call? Now, now I'm stumped. I'm having a, I'm having a moment here. I'm in a moment. Anyway, uh, Death Cab for Cutie. You know, he was part of that with uh, with that bunch. Okay. You know. Any, anyway, so, but he wrote a lot of songs that were that kind of. George was saying, "Hey, you're going to get yourself into trouble. Really, I think I think that one's a little bit too close. You're going to get in trouble there. You know, don't you can't." I don't know. Be careful, because that sounds a little bit too much like one of ours, really. You know. Mm. <laughs> so, anyway, um, Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Sorry, I couldn't think of it. Anyway, yeah, the Bonzos. The Bonzos came in at the end of the film. There, they closed the film off with, uh, you know, the cabaret thing and the stripper and all that doing Death Cab for Cutie. Which uh, I don't know if you you remember that or if you've seen it. You're too young to to remember remember that bit. But he was brilliant. He was really brilliant. Some of his songs were absolutely genius. Mm. And the way he did them, you know, it, cheese and onions. Did you, did you ever hear cheese and onions? No, no. Oh my God, it's brilliant. And the and the animation was it was a total parody of uh, Yellow Submarine. I have always thought in the back of my head, cheese and onions, cheese and onions. Do I have to spell it out? C-H-E-E-S-E-A-N-D-O-N-I-O-N-O. Oh, no. <laughs> I like that melody line though. That's really uh it's that's really great. catchy. It's great. Uh, it it could have been in the film, it could have been, it was really good. All right. Look uh, that one up, cheese yeah, and onions. I'm definitely going to listen to it on the car ride home today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well I think we have time for like a couple more trivias if we want to do that. Okay. All right, well I mean I'm I'm fresh out. I'm oh, like, no. let me all right. what else I gotta I got I got something for you. Um, what uh, was Ringo's childhood illness? Um, it was um, I, I want to say a flu or pleurisy. I can't remember. It was something very serious. It was a tetanus, typhoid, one of those things. I, th- I think um, it was tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. Yeah. yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, and they it had was... like a scar too, because like when the Beatles did a promo shoot, like. Ringo was wearing a like a a one a one piece like that mm-hmm. was all like one, like those like old sixties bathing suits yeah, with the yeah. like stripes and all. They're like, "Why are you wearing that?" And he goes, "Well, I have a scar from when I was huh. a kid and I was in the hospital." Right, like, right. Yeah, he could have died. It was very serious. And but, and then you know, uh, obviously, you know the other illness. Why he was not on tour in uh, in sixty four? Do you know that one? I think it was pneumonia. No, actually, it was tonsils, which is absolutely a, a needless, another one of those needless <laughs> operations. Yeah. You know, but um, so he, he didn't need to do it. But anyway, it gave uh, who was the replacement uh, drummer for him? Oh, I'm picturing his face right now. He is. He was like dark haired, had like thick eyebrows. Do you know, Andrew? give up. Yeah, I give no. up. Yeah, 
Jimmy Nickel. Jimmy Nickel. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Who actually just uh, just died recently, I think, in uh, 2013 or somewhere in there, I think. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Nickel. Did you ever... And he was on tour. What? Oh, sorry, go ahead. You can go. Mine's kind of like an off-beaten topic. <laughs> yeah, so uh, not many people know that. Mm. Now, um, <laughs> in prep to the show, I I, I remember like uh, when I was when I was younger, like you know they were you always see these like uh, things of uh, like they say oh the ghost of Elvis was seen at Graceland or whatever, and I remember seeing this special. Right, I don't know if you if you ever seen it before. I don't know if you've seen it. Either oh, the ghost. Now. The Ghost of Elvis? No, I've not. I've not no, seen that. Well, not the Ghost of Elvis, but there's this one where they did it on the Ghost of the Beatles, and it was like they were going ghost hunting for John Lennon and George Harrison, and they go to Shea Stadium, right? This is the funniest thing I've ever seen. They go wow. to Shea Stadium, and they stand in the middle of like the field, you know? <laughs> and the guy is just like, he has his hands up in the air, and he's like, I could feel the energy of John Lennon and George coming over me. The spirit. <laughs> what? It was just something so That's ridiculous. That's pretty funny. He's like, I could feel the energy of John and George. He's like, what was it like to perform on stage? He's like, Ringo's here. And I'm like, Ringo is still alive. <laughs> still alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Ringo well, didn't appreciate like, that know. too much. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, it's going to be like, Carlos uh, Santana going back to Woodstock uh, some 50 years later or whatever it was, standing in the field, you could feel the energy of the people that were there. You, sure. I'm sure yeah. you could feel it. I mean, I bet that that, that place is alive, man. That, yeah. that probably is still alive with the spirits, whatever, yeah. of all the people and the energy. That, that's got to be like – to sit in that field today would be just – I think that would be mind blowing, really. Yeah, you know? I would love to go and see it. Yeah, especially if you were there. You know, what I mean, Carlos performing and oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, I thought it was After a little, me. a little bit silly that it was just some random guy who didn't even perform with the Beatles, and he was just standing out there, like yeah, yeah, that'd like... be pretty, pretty outrageous. And then they went and then they tore it down, which, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sen- sentimental. It's, mm-hmm. it's really sad. All those things get torn down. Like uh, the Nims Nims uh, building, which was, you know, Brian Epstein's record uh, store mm-hmm. in Liverpool, right? Yeah. And uh, the cavern, you know, and then every uh, hindsight is always twenty twenty, isn't it? After they tore the cavern down, oh bloody hell, why did we do that? Let's put it back <laughs> up. So you put it back up, but it's never the same. No. It's never yeah. the same. What about uh, the, st- nice. the Star Club in Hamburg? Have you ever been there? I've not been there. I think those clubs are probably still there, you know? Mm. Mm. And the uh, people who uh, contend, uh, I met somebody who said, oh, no, you know, he was, he was, he worked on the docks. He was the dock worker. And he used to go on his lunch hour to go hear the Beatles and he says, oh, no, George was not sent back because he was uh, underage. He went back because he had a girlfriend. I don't know. You know, I don't I don't want to agree with that, really, because there's too much evidence to the contrary. 
Yeah. I thought he got you know? sent back. They got in trouble because they lit a lit a Johnny on fire. Yeah, they did. They did a lot of things like that. <laughs> they certainly did. And um, they also here's here's something uh, that people don't really know about the Beatles. Their clean, squeaky clean image, right? As they were, you probably could consider them to be the inventors of punk rock. Yeah. Mm. You know, because they were very inspired by Gene Vincent and rockabilly and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, blended blended in with uh, skiffle, right? Mm-hmm. But they they tended more towards the the rock, the leather jackets, the leather clad thing, and then the teddy boy. You know, things, Lennon, yeah. Lennon came out with a toilet seat around his head and you know in his underwear and all that that's that's punk rock isn't it really wasn't, you know wasn't that their original look like when they first started as like the quarry men weren't they more like leather jacket yeah you they know? were teddy boys yeah. yeah yeah teddy boys yeah yeah that was the original look and uh, and then they met up somehow they met up with astrid and um klaus volman and mm. i think it was because uh Stuart Sutcliffe was, you know, his girlfriend was Astrid and she was the photographer and she was taking photos of the band. And then they met Klaus, who was the artist and all that. And she says, why don't we try doing your hair a little bit differently? Right. <laughs> and so after they'd gone, come out of the, the swimming bath, they had the, the hair down in what's become the beetle cut. Right, you know? right. Mm-hmm. And then they, they just kept that. And then here's another little silly thing. I bring it up because it's just, it's bloody irritating to me. Somebody puts this photo up of this young kid. It's a black and white photo. And he looks like Scott Bio. You know who Scott Bio is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he played Chachi on the Happy Days, right? Yeah. And he's sitting there and he's got a beetle cut and he's got a guitar. He's got an acoustic guitar over his shoulder and he's playing a guitar. And all these people have put this, this photo around on like, Pinterest and all the other social media platforms and they say, oh, look, it's John Lennon when he was a teenager. No, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) John Lennon, if he was a teenager, he would have been a a teddy boy because Mm -hmm. his idol was Elvis and his hair would have been slicked back in a DA haircut. And this is long before they met the people who were to introduce him to the Beatles haircut. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, people, I will de- I'll go on, on the record internet. right now and debunk that for all you <laughs> listeners. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, people on the internet will believe anything. They will, really. Absolutely. It's crazy. Crazy stuff. Yeah. But uh, I, I, how long have we been going on for? It's been about... Uh, oh, uh, it's like an hour 40. Okay, yeah. So I think I think it's about... Uh, we don't We don't want to keep you up all... Uh, hours of the day. I don't know what time it is where you're yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's, but uh, we're yeah, gonna we put it. I'll, I'll let you. I'll, we'll end it there, like uh, Buckminster Fuller uh, always said, uh, to be continued. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'd love so, to have uh, you back on uh, soon. Uh, like let uh, let me know when you get uh, more updates on your book that you're writing and stuff. Yeah, the the uh, the book and uh, some new songs. You know, we're probably gonna be doing uh, the the songs by remote because they won't let you travel anymore it's, it's just right. absolutely lunacy i believe is the word lunacy it's a good but word to describe we, everything yeah it's it's absolutely they're, they're going completely mad 
gone completely mad. Yeah. But I would love that. It would be great to be back on and we'll play play some things, talk about yeah. some things, and maybe yeah. recite a recite a few of the stories and poems. And uh, if I could dare put in a plug for the radio show for okay. your listeners. Yeah, please uh, let let yeah, everybody yeah. know where they can find you, listen to you, all that good stuff. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, Thursdays, first of all, uh, Thursdays, Len Johnston's Parallel Universe at OurGenerationRadio.com. That's just spelled out, O-U-R, GenerationRadio.com. Uh, and uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and midnight GMT. And you can probably find it on TuneIn, which is an app for the phone. I think he still can do that, although they might be clamping down on things. I don't know. They're, they're crazy. They're completely crazy out there. Um, the website is tribute to John Lennon.com. Mm-hmm. And you can also, if you, if you plug that into YouTube, you'll find me very easily. Uh, Lennon returns is the official thing. And I'm the guy obviously who speaks the proper Queens English. I don't have a Spanish accent. So don't mistake me for the lookalike guy. Who do, who's got the Spanish accent, that's not me. Mm-hmm. He's got a good 70s look, but that's about it. He doesn't really sing or talk. And and that's about it. Len, Len, Len Johnston is another one, if you want to find me that way. L-E-N-N, Johnston with a T. That's another way to, to find me. Mm. Okay. And on that note, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a great time. Yeah, yeah. I definitely learned a lot. Yeah, same here. I thought I was like a, a Beatles whiz. I thought I was like, oh, I'm going to breeze through this trivia. And then like <laughs> I'm like, oh, holy smokes, man. I got a lot to learn still. Yeah, yeah. Cool, awesome. cool. Well, time traveling, oh. John Lennon. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. My, my pleasure. And uh, do do uh, send me a link. Uh, I'd love to hear the, the finished product and be able to uh, link to it, whatever, and and send people to it as well. Yeah, that would be awesome. We'll yeah. definitely let you know when it's live. All right. And good, uh, good. do you think we can get a, a thank you on behalf of the group? You know, that Lennon saying? Oh, yeah. Ending? I'd just like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves, and I hope we pass the audition. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Great. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, I've been the Mighty Coleslaw, and this is another installment of the Mighty Coleslaw podcast featuring the ever-talented time-traveling John Lennon. We hope to see you again next week, and this is the Mighty Coleslaw signing off. The delusion of time lives inside your head. It's a bottomless pit, a never-ending threat. But the past is dead and buried and gone. Be here now and live on and on. You're never-ending. shining star the pain you fear is so unkind but look again it's all inside your mind a pack of lies nothing real to dread free your mind cause you have been misled you're never ending you're never ending be the light cause you're a shining star things cannot improve until you learn to free your